Welcome to our home. Uh, it's our great pleasure to have Tripurari Swami here, and uh, I'm sure he's going to enlighten us with some interesting perspective on uh, spirituality and religiosity. So, uh, uh, and kind of the, the difference between the two. He remembers the topic, I don't, so I'm going to let him introduce his topic, and uh, please uh, give him a very warm welcome. Thank you. Umagyanatimirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chaksurumilitam Yenatasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Arjunurambita Bhujo Kanarabodato Sankitanayaka Pituro Kamalaya Taksho Vishwamburo Dijavuro Yugadharma Palo Vande Jagat Priyakuro Karunavotaro Vande Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sakurito Gurudai Pushpavanto Chitro Sandotamuno Suvaravarna Himango Varnangas Chandanagati Sanyasa Kritchamasanto Nishtashanti Parayanaha Bhairagya Vidya Nija Bhakti Jogam Shikshatameka Purusha Purana Shri Krishna Chaitanya Sharira Dhari Kripam Budhiyastvamam Prapatye Namo Mahamudanaya Krishna Prema Pradayate Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne Gauratvishenama he Krishna Karuna Sindhu, Tina Bandhu Jagatpate, Gopisha Gopika Kanta, Radhakanta Namostute, Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi, Radhe Brindabhaneshwari, Prashabhanu Sute Devi, Pranamami Hari Priye, Nama Chintamani Krishnas Chaitanya Rasa Vigraha Puna Shuddha Nitya Muktvam Dinatvam Nama Namino Siguri Vaishnavgul Parampra Ki Jai Harinam Prabhu Ki Jai Sri Sirada Govinda Ki Jai Gaur Bhaktavinda Ki Jai Gaur Premanande Bhuravani So, good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. Uh, pleasure to be here. As, as, um, as always, I've been here a number of times now, so um, it's always um, a nice experience. And so the topic... Well, you more or less got it. it uh, it's about uh, religion and spirituality and the, and the idea that's uh, out and about that um, I'm not religious, but I'm 
spiritual, which is a, more of a uh, becoming more of a common uh, phenomenon in today's uh, world, in, in the modern world. Some of you may feel like that. Uh, so it's an interesting thought, uh, phenomenon, reality. Um, and I guess that uh, we could say there are a number of reasons for that. There, that people are, to one extent or another, rejecting religion and then ex- embracing spirituality as if the two were were different. Um, I guess they are a little different, and they're very much connected at the same time. Um, but interestingly enough, we even have, not only today, but in ancient times as well, a sector of the religious public that is was against uh, spirituality. By spirituality, of course, uh, I'm referring to, uh, I would call it... Uh, Spiritual experience, mysticism, the uh, the uh, some acquaintance with the the nature of uh, being an experiential answer to the existential question that human life constitutes. In human life, we ask why. It's a big question that's not asked in other forms of life. So human life is, in and of itself, as I say, if we were to describe it, this is one way, it's a big question mark. It's a big existential crisis. Because in human life, as I say, this why question, why am I, why, why, what is the purpose, what is the meaning, uh, rather than how, how to eat, how to get a roof over my head, how to how to mate, how to protect myself. These how questions all refer to an aspect of our being. They refer to the material aspect of our being that needs defense, that needs to be fed, that needs a roof over its head. Our body needs these things, and we need these things for our mind's peace also. Uh, to a large extent. So we have a physical and a psychic dimension to ourselves. Hmm? But we also have another uh, dimension to ourselves. We are the, the thinker. We are the experiencer. We um, animate the physical side to ourselves. And, and the mental or psychic dimension, uh, as well is dependent upon our, well, upon, uh, consciousness. I realize consciousness and the psychic, they kind of come closer to one another, perhaps, than in science they're often identified. But in the school of Vedanta, we differentiate between consciousness, the experiencer, and thought, or thinking, the mind's work, and the physical uh, 
actions that we perform. So something, and it's us, animates the physical and psychic dimensions of our experience. They are part of our experience, and we are the experiencers. So experiential um, spirituality. This is, uh, uh, as I understand it, as I think about it, is to come in touch with that that self, which is really the the more, if you will, that we sense we we are as in human life. In human life, we sense there's more to us than what meets the eye. There's more to life than measuring it. There's some purpose behind it, and I have something to do with that. I'm more than what um, my present situation affords me the opportunity to do. I feel a little bit limited even by my by my um, uh, um, physically, mentally. I feel that you know in human life we try to do all the things that every other species only does one of, like fish swim in the ocean, birds fly in the sky. We try to fly in the sky, we try to swim in the ocean. We feel that we can do everything that every other species is doing. And the spiritual reason for that is that um, consciousness is not um, is independent of matter. It's not dependent upon material conditions. It can live in the water, in a fish body, yes. It can live in the air, in a bird body, and, and so forth. And it means it can live in any condition. And as it starts to come out in human life, think about itself. It starts to think and feel and perceive that I'm, I'm that more. I don't have to die. It looks like I might, but I feel like there should be a way to deal with that. So that's the, 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 the us, the consciousness, the self, starting to just bud, if you will, in human life. In human life, again, we ask, why? Why am I? Why I have to suffer, although I don't want to? The sense that I exist, this is a human experience. Animals, beautiful as they are, are preoccupied with how questions, right? We don't find them philosophizing. We don't find them praying. We don't find them meditating. We find them asking how to eat, how to sleep, how to protect myself, how to mate. Really, they, they have these questions, but they don't have to ask them much because there's a system built into nature to answer them. So if we find the animals, they know what to eat, unless we mistreat them, you know, we feed them things they shouldn't eat. So we, 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 they know what to eat, they know how to mate, they know when to go to bed, when to wake up. Every, every, every species of the, of the animal species has a way of protecting itself, as limited as it is. That side of ourself cannot be protected. That is the side of ourself 
the material side of ourselves that's here today and will be gone tomorrow. But there's something else to us that senses we don't have to be gone tomorrow. Hmm? There's more to us. Hmm? So this means that from our perspective then uh, of yoga and so forth, that, this, that human life is the time when the nature realizes it has a soul. It has something that's animating it. Hmm? Uh, bringing it to life. And we are of that nature. So the questions, the big question of human society is a question that cannot be answered by nature. Because it's not a how question. It's a why question. It's an existential question. Hmm? So it has to be answered in a different way. Hmm? Nature can't answer it, that. Hmm? It's a spiritual, if you will, question. It, the experiencer in himself, herself, is asking, why do I experience? What is the nature of the experience? And so forth. So, so to answer that question is uh, what it means to really kind of fulfill our human destiny, if you will, or, or to take advantage of the opportunity that human life affords us. The question is being asked, we are the question. Why? Hmm? And so where are we going to get the answer? If it's not going to come from nature, then so. So uh, religion says, well, the answer is going to come from, from God, from beyond, hmm? from that which is we are of the nature of, but we're only maybe a spark of the fire, and uh, and so that was a, that was a, in the old world the idea religion would answer all the questions. Um, at the same time, in the old world, if you will, in the ancient world, there was also a struggle between religion and spirituality really answering the question in the here and now and knowing comprehensively being knowing comprehensively means being fully fulfilled knowing the why hmm? knowing what what it is that that I am that is the more and so experiencing this this is um, we find saints mystics you can use the term uh, uh, you know interchangeably in different traditions isolating consciousness from matter the yogi living in the cave for all intents and purposes he's isolated himself the unit of consciousness from matter maybe he's a breatharian living on the air we have so many necessities as we perceive them at any rate that that looks like well <laughs> he's like separated himself from all the material necessities the, the burdens that we have the obligations that we have hmm? that is saying to us that such a thing is a there's a possibility that you could live independently of those needs you are something more and the more isn't doesn't have a necessity. Hmm? So the experience, for example, of the mystic, this is a very powerful um, thing, and it's the, really the heart, if you will, of religions, what religion is meant to bring us to. But 
we have examples, as I say, even in the ancient world where religion is at odds with mysticism, with sainthood. I mean, in the Catholic world, there was the famous, what, uh, Francis of Assisi and the Pope ultimately, I don't know, kissed his hand or something like that, but he was unconventional and, um, and although he was experiencing the, the, the essence, the heart of his religious tradition, it was not identifiable hmm, by those who were identifying only with the, 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 the surface, if you will, of the religious idea. Hmm? It's so, it's similar, but so different in, in Vedanta, in the Indian school of, 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 uh, of, of, of religion, for example. You have a sect called Karma Mimamsa. In there, against the mystics, the Vedanta, there's so many debates and arguments. They're talking about revelation, Eastern revelation, the Upanishads. What do they say? What do those sounds mean? And the religious sector interprets them in a religious way that is, was, they did, was distanced from the heart of the whole thing, the mystical experience of what you are, the answer, you know, to the existential question that arises in human life. So even in, 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 in such times, I've given an example from Europe, Catholic Europe, ancient India. So we have it in our times too. We have people saying, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, or I'd like to be spiritual, or identify with, with that which is spiritual. I had the occasion uh, several years back to be in, in a bookstore, and, found, and you know, I go to the philosophical section, you know, the religious section. I draw them there, and there was a book, The End of Faith. You might have heard of it. It's written by a fellow named Sam Harris. He's an atheist. And uh, so I picked it up, and I happened to open it to the section that was in the back of the book, a paragraph or two about mysticism. Hmm? The balance of the book, the greater balance of the book was faith, religious faith, this is the whole problem in human society. Hmm? People believe in these religious superstitions and then they make borders and lines uh, you know, on the basis of them, and they discriminate, and they're mean to people, and uh, you know, he's pulling out so many statements from um, different religious texts and so forth and trying to show that they were ludicrous, uh, the laws of the book uh, and so forth. Um, uh, from his perspective, they were, they were ludicrous, they were problematic. He was demonstrating how they were problematic. And, and of course, we've been affected by these things. This is one of the reasons we say, I'm not religious. Hmm. I've got this law in there. It doesn't make any sense hmm, to me. So I'm not religious. But there's something about it that Still, I want to identify with them. Here in this book, which is a really powerful, a popular book, and it was really propagating atheism, I opened to this chapter about mysticism. And there, Sam was differentiating between religion and faith and mysticism in his own way. And he, he reasoned, if you will, that mysticism is reasonable. It has a reasonable basis to it. There's empiric evidence that there are people, and they might be the happiest people in the world, they're living in caves. Hmm? And have nothing to do with with 
with the means for acquiring happiness that most of us are preoccupied with, things. They've reasoned that the best things in life are not things. Hmm? The best things in life are ourselves. Hmm? With the capitalist, the big self, not the small self, not the conventional sense of self, not I'm from Winston, I'm a Winston Salemist, or I'm a North Carolinian, or a Californian, or I'm a woman, or a man, or an Indian, or an American. This is the conventional sense of self. This is the small self that we so much identify with, hmm? but so much feel nonetheless confined by and restricts us from being and experiencing the more that we sense in human life we might just might be. We, we must be. We're driven hmm? to pursue that. Like I say, the more. So we invent an airplane so we can experience flying in the sky, in a submarine to go to the bottom of the ocean. We're trying to be, whether it's in a religious context or not, even in a secular context, to be the more that we actually are. But often we try to be the more in the context of identifying with the very thing that restricts us from being that more, that conventional sense of self, the the, uh, the 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 wrong I am, I am a Republican, not, but, uh, or, or I'm not a Democrat either, there you go, so, uh, those wrong kind of provincial, I mean, you can't be any of these things forever, right? That's the problem. And the more is, Part of the more is being forever. Hmm? I want to be happy, and I don't want to be happy in a limited way. I want to be happy in an, an enduring way. Hmm? Fully, and fully means qualitatively and quantitatively. I want in, in an enduring sense, not in a limited sense. But I, in my conventional sense of self, and my identification with that, all that I drive my happiness from I can't hang on to. Hmm? Like I said, well, it's a common saying, it's here today and it will be gone tomorrow. So the sense of self derived from that will also be gone. There's no hope for that. Hmm? That you cannot sustain. That's not possible. But there's something about us that is sustaining. It's sustaining that sense of self by identifying hmm, with the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. And like I'll, myself, I go into something, that unit of consciousness that I am, I go into things by the two letters, my. It's my house. So it's important to me because I'm in it. Hmm? Or it's my car. If, I, if it gets a flat tire, it's a big problem. If yours does, it, it's not on my radar. It doesn't really register with me. Unless you're my friend then I've gone there. So the my, this my, uh, it's two small letters, my, it forms a big, big I. It's big in our eyes, but actually it's really small. Hmm? It's that conventional sense of self. It's a big I because we think what I like is good and other people should like it too. And we want everybody to live kind of in the small world of our likes and dislikes, our happies and our sads, even though they don't make us fully happy. Hmm? 
You know, in our mind, we make those kind of determinations. I like this. I don't like that. This is good. This is bad. This is happy. This is sad. And all that happy and sad, good and bad, hot and cold, that's me. Hmm? But is it really you? Hmm? You're allowed to think it's you and that, and it, and it's, it, it, and you want to stand up for that, for your mys, and this is my country and what, whatever, <laughs> and so forth. But, uh, as much as all of those things don't really belong to you, hmm? the country will come and go and so on. The identity that's derived from that, the I that's derived from our my, it has, has no, there's no hope there. Hmm? That's a passing thing. Hmm? Uh, but somebody is making that identification. Hmm? That is the consciousness itself. It has the capacity to enter into things, to extend itself into things. Hmm? Those things then take on meaning. So what's really the meaning, what's really valuable about the thing is me, because I've gone into it. And what, in what capacity am I going into it? By consciousness, extending itself, hmm? kind of invisibly, it has this power. Then we, 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 because we don't understand that's what's going on, we say, this is mine, so this conventional sense of self this is what the mystic wants to take apart this is what religion really wants us to take apart but it's not an easy task it's a difficult task and it's very radical actually what we're talking about so people get involved in religion kind of with this idea in mind but the task is not an easy task, so we may tend to like, move away from the from the um, the uh, the task at hand, so to speak, and then we settle into a, a religious orientation rather than a radical spiritual orientation to life, and and so we have this difference between spirituality and religion, and we even find religious people. In fact, there was an article that came out recently by a, a, a Christian um, fellow who has a radio station and all it's quite popular apparently. And he was he was warning the you know the congregation, watch out for yoga. This has nothing to do with Christianity. In fact, it's the antithesis of Christianity in very in many respects. Yoga is about going within. We, we, Christianity is about going out and helping the people. And you know, he had various arguments and so forth. <laughs> uh, so here, there's, a, there's an example of a religious person, probably morally stout by, you know, let's say biblical standards or so forth uh, today, but he's in opposition to yoga, which is really a, a, a mechanism, if you will, for going within its it, it's it's to it's to comp to help us comprehensively answer that question why and and who am I what am I what is the more that I sense that I am how to get beyond my the trap of my mind and 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 how to be comfortable with being small hmm? how small is big hmm? To be as small as I am. You know, I saw this video, a fellow sent it to me. <laughs> and it was, um, 
it was a, it's a, here's a sphere, this is the earth. And then it says, and here's the next biggest planet, you know, it's bigger, and then it goes to the next one, and then the next, then Jupiter's pretty big. I didn't realize that, but then it goes to the sun, wow, you know. Then it goes to some other star that none of us ever heard of, or, you know, then another one, another one, and then it goes to the biggest celestial body known to science, known to woman and man. And uh, when it gets there, then it then it shows the Earth. And it's like, this, is that there? <laughs> it's just a dot, you know, on, on the screen. You wonder if it's something that got stuck on your screen or if it's actually part of the video. <laughs> No, it's very small, and here we are, you know, we're, we're one, 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 one continent, one country, one city, one, one species, one human. Uh, it's pretty small, we're pretty small. But we, you know, we want to be big. We are big. We are more. We are more than all of those galaxies, all that matter put together. Because how much does matter matter? If there's no consciousness to feel it, to think about it. What makes matter matter is consciousness. A speck of consciousness <laughs> is bigger than the whole world. It's small, but it's big. It's big in a different way. We want to be big materially. Our, our conventional ego, sense of self, wants us to try to, in human life, be big by adding on. We think we're, we feel that we're more, so we're going to take hmm, from the environment and add on, hmm, exploit the environment to find out the big that I am. But we just become smaller and smaller. What happens by taking is that self that we are, the big S that's small, <laughs> a little Zen here, I guess, but it, uh, it, it, it contracts by t when we take. It expands when we give. Hmm? So the more we're takers and the more we've identified with something that's in need, the body needs to eat, it needs to sleep, hmm? it needs a relationship with another significant other uh, uh, often and so forth. These. Uh, identifying with these necessities as the all in all, we forget about the why question. Hmm? It's too difficult. Forget about it. Hmm? We put all our energy into how questions. That means how to eat better and more. Hmm? Whatever. How to t you know how to how to how to take more. How to defend ourselves more. We get a nuclear defense system. Hmm? So we, we create these, it's, it's all an effort to be the more that we are in a way that just makes us smaller. Hmm? Taking is unbecoming. Selfishness is unbecoming. This isn't something you know, out of a book. I mean, it is in books, but it's a universal uh, experience of everyone. Even the thieves want to divide the loot honestly amongst one another. Selfishness is unbecoming. Hmm? The self, the real self, the higher self, hmm? it becomes obscured the more we are driven to take. Hmm? And what do we get from taking? 
you know, we, 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 we don't get satisfied. It's like fuel on the fire. It only increases the, the heat. That's all. Desire, the Buddha said, you know, that's the cause of suffering. We think that's, that's what's making me happy, but it's causing me suffering. Hmm? So, we even have then religion for taking, right? We say, God, let me take, please, thank you. So we recognize a God and then we feel we're going to take. <laughs> so this is the way in which these religious ideas that are meant to bring us to, to, to solve, to, to answer the question. I mean, if religion comes from God, you know, from, from the, tran- from transcendence, if religion is the, if the, if the, if revelation, let's say, like in the, in the East we have the Upanishads predating the Christian you know, form of revelation, the Christ appearance, and so forth. A historical event as it's thought. Upanishads aren't talking about historical events. They're talking about the nature of being, the nature of consciousness. Uh, it's very interesting, of course. And uh, so anyway, this kind of revelation, uh, or the Christian revelation also, we, we find that in there. Christ was not ordinary. You know, he was a mystic, right? A friend of my student of mine from Finland said that the Lutheran church is this big over there in, in Finland. That um, she had read an article recently that the, the, the uh, uh, or she was she's doing her dissertation on something about religion, so she got a document where the uh, head whatever they're called in a Lutheran church bishop or something like that was having a conference with the local preachers, and and the the meeting was we got to start talking about Christ as like he was a mystic. Hmm? Like he was a guru, something like that. This is popular, so let's start talking about. So that's a, that he should have read the other guy's thing that yoga is bad. I, you know, that, so. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, the 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 Eastern Revelation is is seeking to is is directly dealing with the question of why, why am I, what's my purpose, what is the nature of consciousness, and so what is the more that, that you are, and so forth. So if this is coming through whatever religious tradition, let's say, from that side, in other words, if I want to know the more that I am, the, the, that which I'm a part of, the whole, has to speak to me. What's my prospect as a finite entity for knowing the infinite, you know, the big question, the theory of everything, you know, <laughs> if the infinite chooses to reveal itself to the finite, then the finite has some capacity to know. Otherwise, that would be impossible. What we're talking about here, spiritual life means there's impossible is not in that dictionary. In a land where love is the language, impossible does not exist. There are mystical things happen. Faults become ornaments. Hmm? And we see with eyes of love. Hmm? Hmm? And love has nothing to do with taking. It has everything to do with giving without thinking about attaching any getting to the giving. And this conventional sense of self we've identified with is all about taking. It is on the take. It needs to be on the take because it is 
it's on death row. I mean, it's condemned to death. <laughs> it can't survive. Your identity as a North Carolinian, that is not going to survive. Hmm? It'll survive in your kid's memory for a while. Maybe you did something. Somebody will write about it. And, and the sun will burn out. Then what? Hmm? Right? <laughs> so, it's happening. It's happening right now, as a matter of fact. The sun is burning out. We'll hold out for some hope that, that, that we'll be able to change that by force, you know, and try to be more by, again, being small. We are small in the face of nature. We have no hope, no hope for conquering nature. These are false hopes that science has offered us. Science has value, no doubt. That's one of the reasons we don't believe in religion, because science has answered questions that religion was supposed to answer before and didn't do such a good job. And science answered them, and there are questions about how to do things better, hmm? or how to do things worse sometimes, too, in our industrial age. That's a fact. It was thought how to eat better, and cheap is better, but <laughs> you're eating money these days, you know, not food. Hmm? Not everybody here, perhaps, but a lot of people are. That's what they, you know, sell at McDonald's. Money, hmm? not food. Hmm? So, and science has its... Technology. Science is, of course, it's neutral. It's just facts that have been found out, but in the hands of technology or, or a human attached to the small sense of self, it can be problematic. Hmm? So, but science is anyway one of the reasons why we don't want to believe in religion because science answered a question that religion was supposed to, and original religion got it wrong, and science got it right. We, 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 or so it appears. Hmm? Um, you know, modern science was kind of the, was was born as a Christian. Hmm. That's true. Gradually, it became an agnostic. You know, now it's becoming an atheist. And eventually, you become a mystic. Hmm. That, is the, that has become full circle. Hmm. This is where because truth is 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 truth. So hmm. there are things that are true. And there are different methods for finding out about them to one extent or another. So mysticism is that religious perspective, the heart of the religious uh, ideal, if you will, that doesn't have a problem with finding out things elsewhere that seem to contradict the book. Because then they go back and they find ways to read the book. Because, oh, it's, it's actually saying that also. Hmm? Or um, um, mysticism, the heart of religion, answers all questions while leaving many of them unanswered. It answers all questions by answering you in such a way that you become fulfilled. Hmm? that you experience enduring happiness, anandam, hmm? no needs, no necessities. You experience that you exist hmm? in a big way by being small, hmm? by being a giver, hmm? that you're growing by giving the self is coming out. And you can actually experience that you, you know, you can experience I'm eternal. It's fascinating. You've had the experience, right? Hmm? Shower, you had experience. I'm eternal. Hmm? In, in serious spiritual practice, you can get that experience. 
then you know, your karma will come to arrest you and you can't break through. But you know. Hmm? There's a knowing. You gave and you gave so much. Hmm? So sincerely from your heart. Where to give? A fellow asked me, you know, Ama? Amachi? He's a mystic. Some of her students came to, came to hear from me the other day in my ashram in California. And one of them asked, Swami, you know, we all have talents and all, and I'm wondering what, you talk about giving, what, what should we give? What, 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 what can we give? <laughs> and I said, you should give yourself. Hmm? You have talents, these are all, these things are all acquired by taking. It's all, it's all your karma, actually. Hmm? <laughs> you can, you should give yourself. You should understand that there's an altar of sacrifice and you're on it. Hmm? You should give up. How about that? Hmm? You should give up taking. Hmm? And you can give to yourself. Charity begins at home, to your real self. Hmm? Give yourself in such a way that that, that, that big self will come out. Hmm? This is yoga. right? This is what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, so so this is really what uh, uh, religion is meant to take us to. But a lot of things get lost in the process, lost along the way. Um, that small self is very powerful, and the needs that it presents to us are are, are consuming. Mm-hmm. And so we may pursue the ideal mystical idea, but we may then gravitate towards a religious orientation rather than a spiritually experiential one. And then we start using religion just for our material needs, and then the next generation is not very attracted to our religion. Hmm? Religion for taking hmm? is the kind of religion that people who say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, are not interested in. Hmm? And for good reason. Now, if we distance ourselves from that kind of religion, hmm, that kind of just superficial face of religion that itself is at odds with its own heart, hmm, the guy who says, you know, yoga's bad for Christianity or something, you know, a fellow like Thomas Merton wouldn't think like that, a theologian, he was a Catholic, you know, he went east, he, he sought to t- take yoga practices from the Buddhists and the, and the Hindus and incorporate them into his his contemplative life and so forth and so on. So, um, anyway, this religion that is, that is at odds with mysticism and spirituality, hmm, that we should distance ourselves from. In the context of distancing ourselves from that, at the same time, we have to be sure that entering into spirituality and being and saying, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, that what we are actually identifying with is spiritual, because there's a lot of things out there in the marketplace that are really ego-enhancing in the name of spirituality. Hmm? And real spirituality is ego-effacing. Hmm? So we have to identify ourselves with a branch. We should, it would be thoughtful, to that, that has within it examples of people. Welcome. Hmm? that represent an ego-effaced life. Hmm? These people are powerful. These people are the real founders of religion. They, they were like, then, you, then people gather around the idea and then can't quite 
you know, embrace it, make it out to be less. Hmm? Moral principles are given, your yama niyama, like in yoga. Yoga has moral principles, yama niyama, don't do this, do that. Hmm? Hmm? Yama niyama. But these things are principles, and they appear as laws in certain circumstances. But when the goalpost changes, and there are new circumstances, then, you know, it's a sin to um, to buy your seeds from Monsanto. It's a sin. It's ethically, you know, it's, uh, it, uh, if you know anything about it. Um, <laughs> it's a new sin. It may, it may be more sinful from than other things that were thought to be sinful in the past. Hmm? We should be more concerned about you know, that than what's going on in people's bedrooms, perhaps. Something's got to go on there or we wouldn't be here. So, there's some place for all that stuff, too. Not in my life, but that'd be a problem. <laughs> but I, you know, I was uh, somebody's son. Hmm? Uh, hopefully, it won't be somebody else's son, but this will be the last life. But, uh, so, hmm, yeah, so, so we're moving away, as I say, from the religion that we don't want anything to do with, it's irrelevant, that's got moral laws that pertain to circumstances that don't seem to make sense right now to me. Hmm? And the laws are being pushed rather than the principles. Hmm? that can be adjusted according to time and circumstance and so forth. That kind of religion, we, we're, we're, we're not interested in that. We're fed up with that. So we want it, but we want to be spiritual. So then there's a lot of things out there, right, in the, in the context of rejecting religion. And all of them are not spiritual. A lot of them are ego-enhancing and uh, rather ego-effacing. So we should look, I think, for a school, if, we, if you will, that has a record, hmm? track record, they've produced saints from this tradition. These kind of people that are, again, are the founders that religious traditions are formed around, that transcend the traditions themselves, which, you know, when you institutionalize the mystical uh, experience in enlightenment, you know, the buddhi, the prem, as we call it, this is a, you know, we should go there, you know, love, we talk a little bit about it if we have time, but when we talk about enlightenment, you know, there's like, there's like 101 in enlightenment, hmm? right? And there's 108, you know, in, in 1008 in enlightenment. What is the nature of consciousness? To say, I'm consciousness, I'm not matter. Wow, that's big. Hmm? I don't die. Hmm? And I feel, I know the extent to which I exist. I have no fear. I have no anxiety. I have no need to take whatsoever. Hmm? That's huge. But now, to explore the nature of consciousness, is it just the antithesis of taking? Well, it is, I, I suppose. But not taking is not the entire antithesis of taking. Giving is. And when we... And, 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 so... To stop taking is the beginning of giving, but there's more to it. So when we enter into the nature of consciousness, there's a whole world there. Hmm? What possibilities lie there? 
So that while we may look for a tradition, for example, as I say, that has mystics in it, we should listen to them and see what is the nature of their experience of consciousness. And we find they are different. They are similar. They all say the same thing about the material world. They all say the same thing about taking. So many things in common they have. Then, but when they start to talk about the nature of consciousness, there are some nuances, some differences. Those differences between mystical traditions, they're not at war with one another. It's like, you know, okay, we've got enough in common here. So is the, is the nature of enlightenment one that constitutes a unity unto itself that is just one and there's nobody else? Some philosophers or mystics will have that experience. The multiplicity is the problem. Hmm? Multiplicity in material life is born by my desires. Your, your like is my dislike. Uh, so this multiplicity is born from desires, from attachments. This is getting in the way of the unity. Do away with the multipli- multiplicity and be the unity. Be the one. All moral issues are solved. There's nobody to steal from. Hmm? Mysticism solves the moral problems very nicely. Hmm? Hmm? Uh, <laughs> therefore, in mysticism we say, what are the morals? Whatever is favorable for pursuing your mystical life, that you accept. Whatever's not, that you reject. That is the moral code for 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 uh, mysticism in bhakti. Whatever is favorable to bhakti, we accept it. Whatever is not favorable to bhakti, then we reject that. Very easy. By doing that, we, we, we rise above our own likes and dislikes. It might be like my mind might like to sleep early, you know, late in the, late in the morning, but it might be good for bhakti to get up early, hmm? when when the world's not very noisy, so I can be quiet hmm? and think and contemplate. For example, hmm? I can chant and I can hear myself chanting. So, by accepting what's favorable, for example, in our tradition to bhakti, by rejecting what's not favorable, very quickly we rise above what I think is. Good, what I think is bad, what I think is happy, what I think is sad. We have a direct experience of of what happiness is. Hmm? What sadness is, too. That's another thing. There's sadness in spiritual life also. And it's good. Hmm? Just like the happiness in material life, it's bad. <laughs> Why? Because it doesn't last. You say, I like this. This makes me happy. Having this house makes me really happy. Hmm? And then the husband says, well, you can't keep it. Hmm? Then it becomes, oh, this is a problem. So it is with all things, as we said earlier. So the happiness of material life is really sorrow. That's what the Buddha said, that I mentioned earlier. And inside the context of spiritual life, hmm, there's also sadness. Think about that. That's a far out idea. Sadness that's blissful. Hmm? We're talking about more nuanced, nuanced ideas of consciousness. The one mystic says, the whole experience of enlightenment, the whole answer to the why question and, the, and what is the more that I sense I am, is that you, there is no individuality. There's one soul and you're it. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. If you're happy, why move? Sit. 
Hmm? If you have no desire, you can sit peacefully. Hmm? Nothing to do. Hmm? But then there's possibility for going a little further in there. Hmm? After all, we want diversity as much as we want unity. And what is the unity anyway, if there's only one? It's kind of a poor excuse for unity. What is, you want harmony? Is it just one note? Oh, there are many notes all working together. That is a more, that's more beautiful, profound idea. Hmm? So in the bhakti tradition, for example, that, 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 that I am a small part of, that, um, that we, we, we speak about, we experience actually the nature of enlightened life to be uh, a kind of a unity in diversity, a diversity that beautifies, that ornaments the, the, the unity. So it's a plumbing of the depths of consciousness. After all, is enlightenment knowledge? Yes. Is it love? Yes. Well, and is love the end of knowledge? Yes. Hmm? And love is graded, if you will, measured by the extent to which there's reciprocity, reciprocal dealings. The extent to which I can become you and you can become me hmm? without doing away with both of us, that's mystical. If to do away with the problem of suffering and the differences we have, I do away with you, well, okay, you know, <laughs> that works to an extent, hmm? but... But if I can keep you, and I can keep me, and you and I can become we, well, that's a far out idea. That's a, this is a, you know, more developed theological, mystical, uh, argument, um, uh, which, if you take the various, you take Buddhism, there's an ego-effacing tradition. You take yoga, that's an ego-effacing tradition. You take bhakti, bhakti is Kind of like yoga, sometimes we call it bhakti yoga, but it's, it's actually something more. That's a particular tradition. So you look, these are all ego facing traditions. Now you look at them and analyze them. What, hear from the saints. Find the living saints in the traditions. Not only the old ones. Where are the living ones? Find them. Hmm? Here, what is their sadhya? What is their ideal? What is the, what is their experience of the nature of enlightenment? And what is the path to get there? Is the ideal satisfying? It's ego-facing. That has to be. That's basic. Hmm? Is that all there is? Is there something more? To it? What is the means? Is it a, is it friendly? Is it easy? These things. There's not a whole lot. You know, it's not a big. There's only a few ego-facing paths, and only a few sending people around. So, at any rate, at any rate, these are, this is what we should gravitate towards. If we feel I'm not religious, I'm spiritual towards a really essential, uh, authentic, spiritual uh, tradition. And, and it will not be one that just is there to pat you on the back and tell you everything's okay and uh, it's going to tell you there are problems and you've got to deal with them. And you, are, <laughs> you, your conventional sense of self is the problem. Hmm? And that has to be dealt with. That is it's open, you know, hunting season on the ego. Hmm? So... Anyway, we know we've got more tonight than you're hearing from me, so it'll be a nice dinner and so forth, and you don't want to eat too late because you want to get up early after a talk like this. <laughs> Start meditating, so. <laughs> so what's the time now? 
Right, right on time. Maybe any any brief question, I'll give a brief answer. Hmm. So you've talked about a general. You give us a general context of your concept of spirituality. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you go just a little bit deeper than the general outline you gave us to some specifics of your tradition, which make it the path that you chose? Mine's the best. <laughs> we should all feel like that. Mm-hmm that our path is the best, otherwise why would we be on it, right? So we should think it out, we should feel it out, we should identify with with a particular path and um, luminary in the path and so forth. So so my path, yes, uh, well, uh, in the bhakti tradition then, um, one thing about it is it's very, very user-friendly. That's that's. Uh, we need all the help we can get. If we're especially going to embark upon a very radical path that is that is involved in, in 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 like I say, killing our conventional sense of self, so that we stop taking and stop killing, hmm, taking from the environment. It's a taker. It has to be explained. That's a difficult thing to do. So if there's a user kind of friendly way to do that, then all the better. Let's give you. I'll give you an example. I mean, if I say to you, as I have earlier. Well, your material desire is a problem. Hmm? And you go, yeah, I can see that. So here's the path. Go home tonight, stop desiring. <laughs> well, that's okay, Swami. You think that's difficult? Think about it then, I say. So think about it. Think about it a lot. Hmm? You know, and, 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 or I, I'll tell you further, thinking's a problem too. So... That's also so. Stop thinking. So okay, great. Thanks for the, thanks for the advice, Swami. (laughs) I mean, their paths are kind of like that, you know. Like okay, so you can sit and stare at a white wall for you know eight hours, Um, and people do that too. And it's but it's not. I wouldn't call it the user friendly approach to to the matter. Uh, It works for some people, but you know. Objectively speaking, there may be a more user-friendly way. So what I mean by that is there are there are things that we're preoccupied with in terms of our conventional sense of self. Hmm? So is there a way to remain preoccupied with those things, so to speak, or involved in those things in such a way that they they produce the opposite result? I'll give you an example. You, you like music? Yeah. Right. So. So, uh, at the same time, music, you know, that, um, you know, I like a certain group because of certain desires and so forth, and that group will be here today and gone tomorrow too, and all that stuff, you know, applies to music as, as, as much as everything else. So, it's a problem that I like music in a sense. What, 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 what the problem is that I'm trying to take advantage of the nature of being in reality in terms of sound, I want to hear what life is like. Hmm? But these ears are just such a limited, you know, capacity, instrument for, for hearing because I'm the hearer. I want to see how beautiful life is. But the eyes are not good for that. Hmm? These glasses don't see. Hmm? And we think, yeah, the eyes see. But these eyes don't see. 
I'm the seer, right? Consciousness is the experiencer, the taster, the hearer, the thinker, the knower. Hmm? Ears get in the way of hearing what could be heard. Hmm? Eyes get in the way of seeing what could be seen. Hmm? Come out from underneath the eyes, the ears, the mind. Hmm? But how to do that? I'm, I'm being used by the eyes, the ears, and the mind all the time. Hmm? So in bhakti, it's user-friendly because you can use your eyes, you can use your ears. How about the tongue? That's a tough one there. It likes to taste and likes to talk. Ears like to hear music. We may like to sing. So here in bhakti, we sing. You were singing when I came in, right? So here's a way to sing, which might, and hear, which otherwise may have taken you kind of on the outgoing current, hmm? To, to solidify you and more in your egoic sense of self. So we come, can come out of it. Because the nature of the, of what's being sung about, hmm? It's a kind of, uh, it's a yogic uh, singing. And there's tasting. We'll do that next. You know, there's a, and so it's a, it's actually a way in with this, you know, Archie, she gave all the, I saw it on here, you know. Here's what's being offered, you know. Tonight, you know, there are all these exotic foods. No, it's not on this one. It was on another one I saw. An email. He said, "All the whole menus there. There's only one element she left out because yeah, people don't understand it. It's called bhakti. She's got some bhakti she puts into that. She prepares that food in a certain conditions in a certain way. In the context of the bhakti tradition, she makes an offering of that. She has certain mantras that she employs." She gives her heart in that, and so forth, and and that's why it tastes so good. <laughs> so there's this. So here, I mean, who doesn't eat? You know, and eating is that's the we eat hopefully to live, not live to eat. But here, you could almost live to eat, and you could solve the hunger problem, um, which is which is an egoic problem identifying with the body, because this kind of eating will actually help you to 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 transcend the small sense of self. It's really friendly, if you, if you see by comparison. So it's a very user-friendly kind of path, bhakti, and the way it's user-friendly is this. We live for loving. That's what we live for. You know? that's, that's we, we actually live to love. Hmm? Um, and so bhakti is the love yoga. Yeah. You know? it's, uh, it's, it's about... And, and, and so, so this living to love can be seen as a problem because I love things, you know, but they're not really mine and they're going to disappear in due course. I love people. They'll be here. They'll be gone tomorrow too. So my, I'm frustrated in my attempt to, attempt to love because I repose my propensity to love in something that doesn't endure. Hmm? So... Some people reason in some paths, ego-effacing paths, stop all this loving stuff. Hmm? Just be, just know, know that you are. Hmm? Hmm? It's a path of knowledge rather than a path of, where knowledge is the goal rather than love. We teach that love, that there's a kind of knowledge in love. Hmm? And that's the, oh, the, whole, the whole thing. Grover Cleveland, I think it was, he said what? That if you love someone, they will tell you all their secrets. Hmm? 
So we have a propensity to love. We're opposing our loving propensity in things that aren't capable of taking all the love that we have to give. Hmm? How much love do we have to give? Well, as much as we, our soul comes out, we have an unlimited amount. If we give it to things that don't endure, we're, we're going to be frustrated in our attempt to love. So some people reason, wise people, stop trying to love. Hmm? Just be. But in Bhakti, we teach, you no, know, here you repose your loving propensity here and it will expand uh, unlimitedly. It's a love ideology in which essential knowledge is also contained. It's pregnant with knowledge, with essential knowing. Hmm? But think about it. If I can know, but it's at the cost of loving, do I even want it? Hmm? That's a pretty abstract question. If I could know at the cost of love, hmm? would it be desirable? So in the Bhakti tradition, we think, no, we think that the nature of enlightenment will be understood to some extent by examining the material predicament we find ourselves in, because who's there? We are, the self. Hmm? The self is enlightened, but it's kind of covered over right now. Hmm? I mean, the sun is there. Sometimes it gets covered by a cloud from a certain perspective, but it's always shining, right? Hmm? So we are like that. We're like this This self is just kind of covered over. Hmm? So, therefore, the way the self is expressing itself through this covering tells us something about its nature. Hmm? We think the self is a, is a unit of giving. If it's a unit of giving, because that's what we do all the time, we give ourselves. Right? We're always giving ourselves all the time to something. Hmm? We're a unit of will, the capacity to, to express our will, to give, to give ourselves to something. What's more important, the heart or the head? You know, we should use our head only to soften our heart. Hmm? That's all. So, if we look at the material predicament, we think, we see, so obviously people are all about love. They want, they, they want to give. Hmm? And they, they say, they say that the giving is the receiving, even materially speaking. Hmm? I mean, the whole show is about loving. That's what it's about. It's just about knowing. You know, through science we can objectively know, and you know, it's pretty boring after a while. You know, the whole thing, you take it all apart, there's nothing there, according to that, you know, materialistic perspective. Hmm? So, so if the if in material life the self that's covered over by you know a curtain of illusion, but it's none of nonetheless expressing none other than itself hmm, in kind of a kind of a reverse way, so to speak. Hmm, we study that reverse. We think there's something. So the self must be about loving, not just knowing. Hmm, it must be part of an affair, hmm? uh, of reciprocal dealing. So, so then we start to think, hey, wait a minute, I'm a part, a unit of consciousness. As I said, I'm infinitely more important than matter. Hmm? I'm what makes matter matter as a unit of consciousness. But I must be a pretty small part because I've been overwhelmed by matter, even though I'm bigger in a sense, qualitatively. I'm, I'm the more. But I find myself overwhelmed by matter. So I'm consciousness, but I'm only a part. There must be a whole that doesn't get overwhelmed by the illusion. The part might, but the whole doesn't. Hmm? 
So the reason then, we, we reason in bhakti, that we find ourselves in the predicament, even though we are, I mean, what's, in other words, what's more important, the viewer or the television? The viewer. It turns the television on, right? But the television could take over the viewer. That becomes a problem, right? Hmm? So we're turning the whole show on, but it, it may t- overtake us. That's a problem. The fact that we have that uh, propensity to be overcome by illusion says that while we're consciousness, we're not the whole of consciousness. If we're not the whole, we're the part, and then the whole exists, so enlightenment must constitute some type of relationship with the whole. Hmm? To become one in will with the whole, one in desire with the whole, while, while remaining the part at the same time. So this is then a doctrine of will, of will, a mystical doctrine of, of love. The ideal in enlightenment is about reciprocal dealings. That's why you see, for example, the, the object of our love in bhakti is Krishna. Because if you study the picture of Krishna, then you see what, what this is all about. I mean, he, the, the color, and I'll give this example before, the color of Krishna is called sham. In Indian aesthetics, every color, every emotion has a color. So we paint God this color, sham. It's the color of romantic love in Indian aesthetics. The color. So God is this color. He's the color of romantic love. It's it's pure romantic love. I mean, in pure romantic love. That's we don't get that when we're in this body because it's about the body is placing needs on us. We have relationships based on those needs. So we form a let's make a pact. You satisfy me, I'll satisfy you. You know. So for so to, anyway so. If you study the the descriptions, the mystical descriptions of the experience of Krishna, you find the descriptions about him, hmm, about this way that he's that this this center, if you will, is depicted youthful, not an old man on a cloud with a beard, keeping score, for example. Hmm? No, it's not like that. Hmm? He's not even overtly God. Hmm? Krishna is saying. God's not the best thing. He's saying bhakti is the best thing. Krishna is is Brahman, the absolute, completely conquered by bhakti. Krishna, the, the picture of Krishna saying love itself, hmm? absolute love, pure spiritual love, this is the most worshipable thing. Krishna is worshiping bhakti. That, that's what Krishna means. So it's telling us that's, this is, this, that what you feel in your human heart is what life is about. It's confirming that. Another doctor will say, all this love business, this is just false. Just be. Hmm? It go, it, it's, this is the way it's user-friendly. It, it, it doesn't go against what we feel naturally in our human condition. And what we are feeling is ourself, as I said earlier, starting to come out. This bhakti tradition is ministering, if you will, to the full sense of what that self is. A unit of loving propensity that can be fulfilled in love and filled with love to the extent that the whole, the whole, hmm? imagine, here you are, that little soul on that one little planet I talked about, in that big whole universe, you're so small. Hmm? What you are is like a tiny, we are a tiny, tiny magnetic flake. Hmm? Okay? Really flaky too, but we have some magnetism. And then there's the whole. 
right? He, let's, let's look like this. The Purush, it's called in Sanskrit. The pusher, the positive magnet. Now, if this little flake takes on a positive magnetic content, what will be its position in relation to the, to the magnetic positive hole? In other words, when we push in life to take and to be the center, we're trying to be positive. Hmm? But that we'll be repelled from that which is actually the positive, the real sustainer, the maintainer, the, and so forth. However, if we take on a magnetic, uh, you know, negative ma- magnetic charge, hmm, whew, the flake will be immediately taken in. And so, this is a kind of a positive negativity that I'm talking about. Hmm? <laughs> To be humble, uh, you know, and bhakti means, bhakti gives such opportunity to be humble because we have to accept there's, there's, there's a whole. Hmm? I'm only the part. If I tell you you're the whole, you might get a little, yeah, I'm pretty big. <laughs> so you might, so, so you can arrive at that in a big way, you know, that you not be the big in a false way, but, but the smaller you can come become, the bigger you can become. That's what I'm saying. The more we can take on a negative charge, the more the positive is going to become attracted to us. In bhakti tradition, what Krishna means, in a sense, philosophically, is that whole huge positive magnet, not only has the little flake become close to it, it has become so close that the big positive magnet takes on a small size in order for there to have the kind of intimacy that would only be possible if the infinite took on a finite-like appearance. If I get, as a finite, like let's say magnetic spark, I get close to the infinite positive magnet, I'm going to feel like, wow, <laughs> this is, I'm going to think, oh my God, I'm next to God. <laughs> right? So, that is going to interfere, to some extent, with the possibility of intimate reciprocal dealings. Reverential love is not the whole of love. You know, we revere the president, kind of, but, you know, his wife's got a different relationship with him. You know, she probably, who knows what she does to him, you know. Uh, uh, there's more intimacy there. Hmm? She may take the upper hand. Hmm? You're not going to do that. I don't care what Russia says. You're coming home for dinner. You know? <laughs> Whatever. So we, when we talk about the Bhakti tradition is have that kind of relationship with the center, where the center goes, I'll do whatever you want. Hmm? Krishna says in the Gita, Jajatamam prapadyamte tamsatayvujamam. As people approach me, I approach, approach them accordingly. What in the Bhakti school is we've fashioned an approach hmm, where Krishna says, I give up. The God is, I give up. Hmm? You are so, have much taken on that negative charge, so much giving, hmm, that I have to give myself to you. Therefore, Krishna then appears to the mystic and he experiences it, the mystic. And if Krishna has become the son, the lover, the friend, hmm, and in that mystical experience, 
Krishna doesn't even know that he's God. He's forgot about that. That's a small thing. Oh, God, yeah, people worship me like that. It's boring. I want to get close to my parts and parcels, those sparks that all come from me. They, I, 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 the one became many for a reason. And the reason is no reason. Out of love. Hmm? How will that love be fulfilled when the part unites with the whole in a dynamic, loving compact? Hmm? And so, if that unification in love is to be complete, it has to take on the full measure of love. Hmm? Where, uh, you know, I love you, so whatever you want, that's what I want. Hmm? So Krishna kind of exemplifies this experience. It's, and the God side of Krishna, like Narayana, hmm? he's got four hands, he's sitting on a throne, everybody's going, Om Narayana, Om Narayana. This is like, we think, a partial manifestation of the divinity. Because you can only get so close. Hmm? Reciprocal dealings have a limitation. It's agape. You see, we have a transcendental eros. Yeah. The Greeks stopped with agape and it, and it was different from eros. We say, there's a transcendental eros. How's that? It's a transcendental cupid. Hmm? You, can, you can fall in love with God to, to the... I mean, in our worldly experience, there's nothing more powerful than romantic love, especially between a young boy and a young girl. If you try to get in the way of it, it will only increase it. Hmm? You say, honey, I know he's a nice guy, kind of, but he's not for you. you know? She's out the door. That's like impetus. You know? <laughs> I'm going. Hmm? So whatever we try to put in the way of that, apartheata, no, ahaituki, ayatma, sonprasidati, savaipumsam, prodhano, yato bhaktir, adhoksajay. No. That kind of love, this is to give us an example. We can love God like that, that nothing could get in the way. Anything that tries to get it, this is yoga. Think about it. In yoga, we try to stop thinking about the wrong thing, we fix our mind on God. We find these devotees, they're in love with Krishna, they try to stop thinking about him. Because love has those kind of sides, you see. Romantic love has those I don't love him. Hmm? We know. Oh yeah, don't get in the middle of that. Hmm? Yeah, there's that's a side of love. There's union in love. There's separation in love. Hmm? Both things. It's a dynamic affair. So, <laughs> so in transcendental love, we have this also. Hmm? Radha says, "Don't come near me to Krishna." Hmm? Hmm? So, so, she wants him. See, that only makes him more, brings him even closer. Hmm? So. So this is a very esoteric idea, uh, obviously. But uh, uh, this is what our tradition is about. So as I say, when, to say that you're not the body or unit of consciousness, this is like 101 you know, school uh, in the school of enlightenment. Hmm? Then to go from there, what possibilities there are, what it means to be a consciousness. Uh, look carefully, see, you're, oh, you're not the whole, you're the part. How close can the part get to the whole? Hmm? What, what Bhakti tradition is talking about, it, this is like the whole becomes the part almost. The, whole, the part takes the part, the part of the whole. The absolute puts itself completely in the hands. God had put himself completely in the hands of his devotee and says, do whatever you want with me. Hmm? That's why you see Krishna is depicted 
He has he has just a peacock feather, you know. He ornaments himself with a different uh, clays uh, on the ground. Uh, it's it's a he's a very uh, it's pastoral. He's around these cow people. They're not educated. Hmm? Um, uh, they're uh, they 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 simply love him. He simply loves them. This is an example of what I'm saying where the infinite takes a finite-like form in order to reciprocate intimately with the finite. Hmm? Otherwise, it wouldn't be possible. We're too close to the infinite, we say, oh my God, wow. Hmm? So, he takes a finite-like form for there to be intimacy, and in that, by the force of our bhakti, our devotion, God forgets that he's God, and he finds, that's blissful. Being God is tough. You know, it's problematic. Why is it problematic? Being God is problematic. I'll tell you why it's problematic. To be God is problematic because if you're God, all these people got to come up and for a lot of people want something from you, first of all. That's a total bore. They come, they want something. You got everything, give me some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's part of religion that, we, that we're not interested in, right? So... That he gotta, he's got to put up with that kind of stuff. Then there are people who want want to become one with God, want to be, be God. How about that? There's philosophies like that. I want to be God. He said, well, yeah, that doesn't work, but I'll put you over here. You know, you can live eternally. You think there's nobody else there but you. <laughs> and it's cool, you know. No material suffering. That's fine. But, you know, that doesn't like, it doesn't really turn God on. You know, that's not like getting, you know, the where he's at. Then there are the people who say, I just want to, you know, God, I just want to worship you, I want to love you, and I, want, I want to be your servant, and, and so forth. I want to follow all the rules, you know. I want to do what's right only. You know, I want to be, I want to do the right, this is like agape, dutiful love, you know. So it's okay, yeah, you know, sounds, that's that's good. But, but really I expanded, I'm talking from God's perspective, all these parts for myself, because I'm full of love and I, I want them to experience all the love that I'm about and be intimately connected with me. Hmm? But so few people are interested in that. So being God is just, just such a bore. I mean, I can't get out of it what I, what I, what I wanted. Hmm? People attach all kinds of things to their relationship with me. Hmm? But in Kamanuga, no, they don't do that. This is the ideal, highest ideal of bhakti. Hmm? Uh, we don't we don't worship God because it's the right thing to do. That's kind of on a lower level because it's the right thing to do. Ultimately, in bhakti and ragmar, we worship God because we can't do anything about it. We love God. So that a yoga that will bring us to that pitch, that will take us beyond self-sacrifice to self-forgetfulness. Sacrifice means I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to sacrifice here. And I become bigger by that. But there's a pitch, if you will, that love can reach. Hmm? Love is born out of sacrifice, that's true, but it has to grow up. Hmm? Become full. When love grows up and becomes full, there's no sacrificing involved. It's nothing that... What's the sacrifice? Hmm? I've given my whole self, and I'm one dynamically with the object of my love. 
in bhakti, in rag bhakti, this is a kind of bhakti, we, this is a whole thing. We talk about bhakti, we have a particular type of bhakti. This is rag bhakti. In ordinary bhakti, you have the object of worship and you have the worshiper. And then there's the worship. In rag bhakti, we bridge the gap between the worshiper and the worshipped. We don't worship. You see, love bridges this gap. There's a unity between Krishna and his devotees. Therefore, we find pictures of Krishna with his friends. These are mystical experiences that have been put into into art. And there we find Krishna's friend resting his foot on Krishna's lap and Krishna massaging the foot of his friend. What is the implication of that? That friend is a tiny little particle, like I said. Krishna's the whole, and there he's massaging his his foot, it, 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 it's, it, 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 it means that, um, let's say, let's say you're walking down the street and somebody touches you. You go, what do you do? Ooh, excuse me. Or you touch them. I'm sorry. Right? Right? Now, what if you're walking with your son and your son rubs up against you? Hmm? Or your daughter? Hmm? You don't say that. You don't say, excuse me. Right? Because you've identified entirely with them. They're you, right? So if they touch you, if you touch them, there's no difference. So here they are, these devotees, they're dealing with Krishna, like they, 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 they rest their feet on Krishna's lap. They might, you don't put your hate feet on God. You know, that would be, you know, it's the altar, take your shoes off at the door, right? Hmm? So the, in the art, this, this, this experience is depicted like this. Hmm? It's even more than what's being depicted in the art, but this is like philosophically or theologically what to draw from it. There's a kind of bhakti in which the object of worship and the worshiper and the whole process of worship is, is transcended. The gap is bridged. It's not like God's over there and I'm here and I'm worshiping and we're, you know, the world's gone and I'm kind of close, but no, the whole, in love, the, 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 the gap is, is bridged in, 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 entirely. So love and intimacy means that that love that's born out of sacrifice has now grown up. Hmm? It's not just a sacrifice, it's, it's, it's grown into what it is. Sacrifice is like the beginning. You're like, okay, I'm going to love now. And it's painful. Hmm? I've got to sacrifice and so forth. So it reaches a pitch at some point in bhakti, in our tradition, that, it, that, uh, that the, as I say, the gap is, is bridged. The devotee feels a unity in love with Bhagavan. That, with a godhead that he that makes him or her have no qualms about saying it used to be okay the deity eats at this time and Archie will bring the plate at this time and she'll say the mantras at this time and and close the curtain and open it and whoa and and, and so forth and at a certain point that deity is going to start talking to her hmm this is, this is a fact and deity is going to say. Look, Archie, uh, could, you, could you put a little more butter on the chapatis? You know, hmm? she's going to say, "Wow, that's incredible." And then after a while, you know, it's going to reach a point, and she so she does that, put butter on the chapati. Oh yeah, and then after a certain point, he's going to keep asking for more and more and more, and she's going to say, "Hey, look, I only got so much here. You know, you provided only so much, so stop complaining." What kind of a relationship with the deity is that compared to, oh, he eats at this time, bring him the food. Yeah. So this is what I mean, kind of the bridging of the gap. It's, the love has developed in such a way that, that, she, that she feels comfortable saying, you know, 
take what I've got, okay? You provide it. If you want to provide more, I'll give you more, all right? Something like that. So anyway, that's something about our tradition. It's hard to talk about. <laughs> so I appreciate your question. I think we should probably stop because uh, we've talked for a long time and there's a nice nice dinner ahead that's all been offered to Krishna. So, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.